Welcome to Garden Views. Interesting conversations with interesting people who have done and or are doing interesting things. So sit back and enjoy. Welcome everybody into Garden Views. And this week we're going to jump into entertainment law. And we've got our guest this week is Farzad Panshiri. Uh, and he is with my firm. I'm sorry for uh, stuttering there on your, your last name. I know it means the uh, Valley of the Lion, as you told me before. Uh, five lions. The five lions, right? Which which might be a metaphor. We're not we're not sure, uh, or could be literal. Um, but anyway, it's a very cool last name. And um, he's also with Dunlop Bennett and Lubbock, as am I. So I think we need to do this disclosure that uh, we're not representing the firm in this regard, and this show is not a substitute for legal advice. If you've ever talked to a lawyer, everything is, it depends, everything is fact-specific, and this is not legal advice. This is for educational and informational purposes only. That's this podcast writ large. Uh, With that out of the way, Farzad, thank you very much for joining us and agreeing to participate. So how are you doing this, this fine evening? Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Thanks. Good. Yeah, just tell the folks a little bit about yourself so they know you're not a robot and you're a human. Sure. Uh, so my name is Farzad Panchiri. Um We talked already about my last name. So um, I'm I'm a trademark and copyright attorney with Dunlap Bennett and Ludwig. And uh, my background is slightly different. I'm a German-educated lawyer. Uh, I'm a lawyer in, in Germany and I'm a lawyer here in the U.S. Um, and yeah, my main focus is, is on trademarks and copyrights. That's great. So we are going to focus on entertainment law today. And, and of course, trademark and copyrights are in that family of law that people call intellectual property. Um, so I'm not a patent attorney. I don't think Farzad is, but patents are generally inventions. That's a little bit oversimplistic, but they usually don't play much of a role in entertainment law directly. I'm sure there's exceptions with technological advances and, and uh, special effects and things like that. Um, and, uh, you know, there's also something known as trade secrets, which is, you know, there, there's probably better examples out there in the world of what that is, but... Uh, Maybe none yeah. more famous than Kentucky Fried Chickens, the Colonel Seeker recipe, and Coca-Cola's recipe. These are formulas. Nobody knows them. They keep them to themselves because if you put them out in the world, everyone will copy it. Um, and just real loosely, I mean, that's sort of why when, when you walk out of Sephora or Nordstrom or whatever, when you're at the mall, basically the first thing you run smack into is a kiosk there with uh, someone selling you perfumes and colognes that says smells just like Gucci or smells just like that because they managed to find a formula that is uh, either identical or close enough. And because it's a trade secret and it wasn't directly copied, um, it's not a breach of intellectual property. Um, Is that about right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, So, yeah. So uh, trade secrets is is protecting. uh, That's, again, it's it's based on state law um, to that. It's not federal law, it's it's state law, uh, but it's protecting any kind of uh, information uh, which has some economic value in the industry, but which is not disclosed to the industry. So it is a secret. And uh, the only 
only problem with trade secrets is, um, well, the biggest issue with that is, so you can have a trade secret or you can have a patent. Patent is limited to, what is it, 20 years, I believe. Uh, And uh, trade secrets is unlimited. The only problem is trade secrets can be reverse engineered. So if you reverse engineer it, it's not it's not um, an infringement. So it doesn't work with everything, especially technical technological stuff. If you, for example, hardware, you can just disassemble it and see what kind of parts there are. So it doesn't work with everything, um, and it's possible to reverse engineer it. If 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 it gets reverse engineered and that information gets out in the industry, you lose your trade secret. Right. And yeah, it's, it's, um, you know, also on, on my little example there with the, with the generic colognes and perfumes, the reason they can say it smells like Gucci or smells just like, you know, I don't know, Chanel number five is because that's comparison, which is one of the things that falls under the fair use doctrine, which we will get into, uh, as we go along. So, um, there's, so that leaves us pretty much with copyrights and trademarks in the family of intellectual property law that deals with entertainment. There's also contracts and things like that, and we'll certainly touch on that. But I think we're going to spend most of our time on trademarks and copyrights. And I'm going to let you lead at this point, and I'll interject or ask questions along the way. But uh, I, you know, I, I don't know if you want to go in alphabetical and start with copyrights or if you want to go with the uh, trademark because uh, frankly, I think trademark is a, there's more clarity to trademark yeah. uh, or the clarity with copyrights is probably uh, unfulfilling if you are the person on the other side of a copyright infringement. So maybe we should start with trademarks. Yeah, totally, totally agree. Totally agree with that. Uh, that trademarks is, is, has more clear, bright lines. Copyright has more gray areas. That's what I would say. But I think uh, to, to start, uh, we can we can carve out the distinction between trademarks and copyrights. Um, trademark is protecting a brand. So a trademark, uh, the function of, of a trademark is to identify the source of the origin. So who produced that um, good or who's offering that service So under, under that brand? So who is the manufacturer, basically? Who's, who's the person offering those services? Uh, copyrights, on the other hand, is is protecting artistic work. So um, any kind of literary works or books, um, visual works or pictures, drawings, um, music, um, etc., etc. So really focused on on artistic works. I think that is the pretty broad distinction between these two. Yeah, that, I would say that's a fair assessment. Though I mean, copyrights are. You know, it, it doesn't have to be really artistic. Um, you know, you can you can copyright your software code or your recipe book, but by copywriting it, you you've made what you described earlier. You're reverse engineering it easier to do. So unless you are a famous chef and you want to sell your books, you're not really worried about the sanctity of your recipes. If you copyright your recipes you've given them out to everyone to duplicate. What they can't do is they can't publish a recipe and sell the recipe in the form of a book or magazine. Um, that's, the, that's the infringement now. But using it in their restaurant even is not copyright infringement. Uh, they just can't post the recipe in there and sell the recipe individually. Um, 
Well, the problem already starts with recipe. Recipe is technically, uh, it's, it's, it's counted as information, um, and information is not protectable by copyright. But uh, yeah, as, as an example, I agree with you. The reason why software code is protected is because, um, I mean, books is basically just expression, expression of a person who's, who's writing down what they think. And the software code counts. The only reason why software code is, is within that field is because it counts as expression. So software code is written uh, in the way you want it, basically. And that's why you can have um, two different programs uh, looking very similarly, having the same system, but uh, with a different software code. So the expression is differently. So they have not copied the software code and it's okay. It's not a copyright infringement. Right. But yeah. Copyrights is, is protecting any kind of, um, it, it's protecting the copying of the artistic work. It's, it's protecting the, uh, the performance of that work. It, it protects the, um, any kind of derivative work. So let's say you have a picture and, um, someone is not copying that picture, but they take that picture and put it on a mug that counts as derivative work. Or you have a um, you have a book and someone translates it in a different language that would count also as derivative work. So it's uh, copyright law. The protection on copyright law is pretty broad in comparison to trademarks. Trademarks right. is a bit more narrow. Right. Well, I think it depends on which side of the fence you're on. If you are the copyright owner, you probably feel like the protections are pretty narrow and that the exceptions are pretty broad. If you're the trademark owner, it's a, it's broader. And there there is this interesting place where things intersect and then we'll get into that in a second. But yeah, I mean, broadly to dumb it down a bit, facts are not protected. So if you're writing a nonfiction book, the facts are not protected. Now, the way you put them together, that would be your expression where, where it's protected. So. Uh, you know, there's there's sort of a famous case when the when there was uh, more than one phone book and the court said the phone book, it can't be protected. It's facts. And it doesn't matter how you present it. It's you know, it's you know, it's just it's just plain old factual. You can't have a copyright on that. Um, but if you wrote a biography of me and I wrote an autobiography of me and a lot of it sort of reads similarly, but not identical, uh, just just because I can say whatever I want about me. Um, and you're writing facts, you're, you're still protected. Uh, I don't own the copyright on that because you wrote a, you wrote a biography and just because you got the information right, doesn't make you a violation of copyright laws. Um, so that, that, that's sort of a, maybe an oversimplification. Uh, it gets interesting when you're talking about like moving art or like comic books or things like that, where you, you might have like Spider-Man or Batman in, millions of different images and symbols and how much of that, you know, probably in all the iterations, almost everything conceivable has some sort of copyright protection. Um, but it's not the same as the trademark and the trademark might be, you know, uh, the more valuable part of it, uh, almost for the same reasons, but, um, I'm getting ahead of myself and more importantly, I'm getting ahead of the guests. So let's start with trademarks. You, uh, you said that it, it's they're primarily for branding. Uh, so what, what's the basic definition of the trademark and, and what are sort of the common types of trademarks? Yeah. So, um, trademark is basically any, any, um, identifying, 
uh, fact, any identification basically of, of um, um, well, any, basically any word, any symbol, anything which, ident which can identify the source of the origin. So um, common, very common marks are the most common ones, a word mark, a design mark or composite trademark, which is the combination of word and design. So most of the people are okay with that. But there are plenty of, of other versions of Mars. So there, are, you can also um, register a, a tone. So the the uh, telecom um, ringtone that they have have, have that protected. Um, you can uh, nowadays you can even protect certain colors uh, if they're distinctive enough. It's sometimes a bit problematic uh, whether it is distinctive enough or not. Color combinations. Uh, you can smells. Um, you can you can have smells trademark, etc. etc. So it's it's pretty broad what you can trademark, but the most common one and and the the marks, the trademarks which most of the people are interested in are word and design trademark and the composite the combination thereof. Yeah. And um, yeah, that's 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 basically it. Uh, each each of those marks they have like benefits and detriments, but I would say in general like. Word marks are pretty broad. They 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 protect you, and you can use that word mark in any font stylization, color, size, etc. So, um, with or without the design, so it gives you pretty broad um, um, leeway to use it, but also protection. Uh, with the design marks, rather narrow. You would have to use it exactly the way you file it, and the only way you can basically broaden the scope of a, of a design mark is uh, if you file it in black and white, and that gives you the ability to use it in any colors. Um, but that's pretty much it. <laughs> okay, so let, let's try to break them down. The, the smell one to me is, sounds like like the recipe one with uh, trade secrets. Uh, I, I guess you'd have to show independent use or that you, you were using it first, something like that as a defense, but I don't want to get bogged down too much in smells. So the tonal one, uh, I think that one of the more famous examples, I mean, you gave some good ones, but is uh, the way Tony the Tiger says, they're great. Uh, the, the, the words, they're great with that tone, that tone is what's protected. The words, they're great aren't necessarily protected. Um, but let's, let's go with our friend, Nike, because Nike, you know, everyone in the world knows Nike. So Nike, the word, is a word mark. But Nike, the way you're likely picturing in your head, sort of with a capital N, uh, lowercase i-k-e, sort of inclined to the moving front to indicate forward motion, that's, that's more of a design mark or maybe even a composite mark because it's the word and the design in one. Is that correct? Yes, so it kind of depends, and I would have to say in, in this regard. So if you can, if you have a specific way, a specific font you would like to have protect for for a word, you can have it filed as design mark. Okay, so the but, way you uh, see Wendy's on the pylon, uh, you know, it's presented, um, or TGIFs, those four letters, sort of in the white bubble letters, uh, uh, you know, those are composite marks. Yes, yes. So, for example, Wendy's, and then you have that design of, of that of that girl uh, right next to it. That's that's a composite trademark. You have a design element. You have you have word elements in there. Uh, 
but as I mentioned, so there, there are a lot of companies who try to go as broad as possible. So, um, they might be interested in just having, having a trademark, a design mark just for the word, as you mentioned, Nike, maybe in, in a specific font, uh, with a capital letter N and, uh, in, in, let's say in green, um, in a specific color. So they file it as, as a, they can file it as a design mark. Word marks, um, are, are in standard character. So the font doesn't matter the stylization, capital letter, non-capital letter. So all these things, they are basically integrated within the protection of the word mark. And the, the Nike swoop, that's, you know, a logo. What does that fall under? Is that also a design mark? Yes. The, the Nike swoosh is clearly a design mark. It, it doesn't have any, any, uh, I mean, if, if you combine it with, with a Nike term on the left or right side above below, that would be considered a composite trademark, but if it's just the Nike swoosh, um, then that would be considered just the design mark. Yes. Okay. And the, the slogan, just do it. What would that be considered? Just do it. Um, you could file it probably the best way probably to file would be as, as word mark that gives you, as I mentioned, the broadest protection. Uh, but if you have the Nike swoosh and then just do it below it, that would be probably composite trademark. Right. So uh, the point is, is, is what you file with the trademark office, each individual application is an individual mark. So if you file them together, it's what you file the way. So if it's a composite mark, the actual placement of the word and design, that's what's protected uh, literally now in practicality, I mean, enforcement, you know, depends how big you are, if you know, business classes, things like that, uh, there's, there's always practical impacts, but you know, if, if you're, let's say it wasn't Nike, Nike wasn't the behemoth it was, it was somebody starting their own brand and they put the swoop above, just do it, uh, but not to the side. What's strictly protected is the swoop above the words, just do it. Is, is that broadly correct uh so if they use it uh, slightly different yeah uh well if they if they just use it slightly different let's say the next swoosh is, is on the left instead of on the right side that would probably still be considered trademark infringement um but uh it would not be the same mark obviously but it would be confusingly similar to right. to the actual nike mark so um and that's that's basically the trademark infringement. I don't know if you want to jump into trademark infringement now. No, not that. no, that was the point. Basically, the, the answer is no, Jeff, you're wrong. It's still too close. Even even if it wasn't the Goliath Nike, it's still you're wrong. Even if it's a you know just a Joe Blow starting an apparel company at, at home, because it still could confuse uh, the consumer. Though. You know, I guess the more generic the mark is and the smaller the, the company is, you know, if it was, you know, just a son, maybe then. And if the name was also fairly generic, uh, you know, that that's where the, the the famous two words that every client hates to hear. It depends comes into play. Um, yes. What is a service mark? Uh, people hear that term a lot. Service mark. Yes, so there's a distinction between service mark and trademark. Uh, trademarks are for goods. So if you're using a trademark to um, to promote basically your goods, um, and a service mark is for services. So you're using a trademark or you're using a service mark to um, promote your services. Um, 
many people do not do that distinction. They just use trademark. Also, in, in other uh, other different countries, they just use the term trademark. They're not differentiating between trademarks and service marks. And uh, also, um, I've, I've heard that also many people at, at the USPTO, but uh, where they're saying trademarks basically covering everything. Um, but yeah, the, the correct distinction would be trademarks for goods, for classes 1 to 35 um, or 34, and class 35 to 45, that's, that covers services, and that would be a service mark. Okay, so it may be that it's a distinction without a difference, but it would matter for the attorney filing it. But if you are a plumber selling your services in multiple states, you're probably doing a service mark. Uh, if you are selling pipes in multiple states, you're going to do a trademark because you're selling goods. Um, there are probably some hybrid areas like a restaurant, like a you know, cheesecake factory. Uh, you know, they're serving food, which is a service, but they're also selling you food, which is a good. Um, but that will probably still be considered uh, uh, um, a, a service mark. So that's really. Um, that's a pretty difficult distinction, actually, um, and it's not, it's really complicated. So if you're having, for example, um, um, let's go with a cheesecake um, restaurant, you're, you're having a cheesecake restaurant and you're selling cheesecakes, uh, that would be considered a service, even if you sell, even if you have a menu and you sell that cheesecake. But if you sell that cheesecake, um, as good, so um, let's say in, in, a, in a supermarket and you put that brand on that cheesecake, that would be considered a good. But if you sell it in a restaurant um, and you call your restaurant that name or it has some, uh, yeah, something like that, so that would be considered restaurant services. Okay. So when people see SM, they know that's service mark. When people see TM, that's trademark. But when people see R, that's sort of a, a magical distinction. So why don't you distinguish between SM, TM, and R? Yeah, so uh, SM and TM, these are um, so-called, it's just you put that on if you say I'm using that as a trademark. So it is considered, a, a, you, you get certain protections. There are different types of trademarks. Uh, so you get certain protection uh, if you just start using the mark and you were the first person started using that. You get a so-called common law trademark, and that's just to let the people know, hey, I'm using that as a trademark, and I have some common law protection with it. And same thing with SM. The R in a circle is a is you can start using that when you have a trademark registered. So that's that's the distinction between that. And to clarify also what kind of trademarks there are, because I just mentioned it. Um, so there is a, you can file a USPTO federal trademark. With USPTO, you can have a state trademark. So where you just receive protection in the state, the, the federal trademark, you receive protection all over the US, state trademark just in your state, and the common law trademark um, the SMTM, which, which you're basically using or just using that mark without any, any of those, that would be just geographically local protection, the so-called common law trademark. Is there any such thing as an international trademark or an international copyright? No. Uh, trademarks and copyrights are both territorial. 
so you just receive protection within your country. And each each country has has they have their own trademark laws. They have their own copyright laws. So if you want to expand your protection, you would have to actually um, file for copyright or trademark uh, application in those countries. Right. Um, I believe the EU is one block, which can save you a lot of time in some major markets. But um, but uh, uh, I think in Brexit, uh, the the UK left that block. So uh, there's, there's still one other country. But anyway, yeah, I just wanted to clarify for folks, is, uh, these are not international. Now, you, you said something very interesting. There's state trademarks versus the federal trademark. And obviously, the state trademark doesn't go through the United States Patent and Trademark Office, or does it? No. So the, the state trademarks, they are registered within the state just, and uh, they're separate from the USPTO trademarks. So the databases, they're not kind of, they're not connected. They have their own database and they're protected within their, their, their own realm, basically. Does every uh, state have a trademark law? I believe so. So uh, every state should have, uh, should have, um, I mean, I would have to double check that. I don't okay, want to provide wrong information, but uh, you should be able to file a trademark uh, for, for in, in each state. Now, are you talking about like DBAs or trade names or fictitious names uh, on the consumer face? Um, or is there something else? Uh, no. So the, the you would have to differentiate here. So DBAs are uh, uh, doing business as that's that's more like so a lot of people they're confused. They're confusing business law with trademark law. So trademark law and business law, they need to be dealt completely strictly separate. If you file, if you form a corporation within that state, uh, you do a business name search, and that business name search is to see whether there is already a company f- um, registered formed in that state which has that name. Um, that would basically prohibit you from from having that same name, and same with the DBA. If someone else has already that DBA, you cannot use that. Um, but it does not give you protection for trademarks. So it just protects you within your state where you form your your corporation LLC. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, so no one else can can f- uh, form a corporation or LLC with with this, the same name. But outside your state, people could already form it. But um, let's say someone does not form a form a business, does not form an LLC or corporation, they can just use your your business name, what you have, without the LLC or or corporation part, uh, and sell goods or services under it. So that's the distinction. Trademark law is really broad. It gives you protection. Um, for that name and connection with the goods or services for which you use the mark and business law just protects your business name so other businesses cannot use that name. So you can be a business owner in a state. I'm in Maryland, the the audience knows that. So um, you're not, but I'm not gonna tell them where Farzad is. Uh, He's in an undisclosed location. Uh, So you can do everything right. I can create a business and I can reserve my business name, my trade name. Um, We call them DBAs here, doing business as. Uh, There's no conflict with Maryland. Somehow I got the name McDonald's Restaurants LLC in Maryland. And then 
lo and behold, to my surprise, McDonald's Corporation says cease and desist. I'm like, wait a minute. I did everything right. I Maryland accepted the McDonald's Restaurants LLC. I was able to register the doing business as McDonald's Restaurant. Uh what what happened here? How, what did I do wrong? And I guess the answer is Farzad that that they that they have a trademark. Um, so if they have a trademark, they can stop you from using a confusingly similar mark uh, for the goods or services they have registered the trademark for. What happens if, by some miracle of chance, it wasn't me? It was my grandfather who started McDonald's restaurants. Uh, five years before Ray Kroc ever thought of McDonald's, uh, can McDonald's then s- still do a cease and desist, even though they came along afterwards, but they have a trademark and my grandfather didn't bother to, but the restaurant is still operating? They could not because the trademark law is based on priority and that, um, um, so based on priority and that's, that's uh, I believe in almost all the countries, <laughs> the same. So first come, first serve, because we have here in the U.S. a common law system, uh, you receive protection with using the mark. So if you started using the mark before someone else, although the other person may have filed a a trademark registration with the USPTO and receives national protection, they cannot stop you from using your trademark because you have priority and you're the senior user, you use the mark before then. Okay. And now let's say I'm going shopping and, and here in Maryland, we have Giant and Safeway. I have no idea what, what stores you have, but Giant food stores, grocery stores, Rite Aid, CVS, uh, pharmacy chain. I'm strolling through there and I go down one aisle and I see Dove soaps and shampoos and conditioners. And then I go a couple aisles over and then there's Dove ice cream. And of course, that's what I'm buying because I love ice cream more than I love sh- uh, shampoo. Uh, and I'm like, wait, Dove. How, how can there be two doves in, in the, you know, in the same store? Is, isn't that confusing? How, how is it that something like there's Dove ice cream and Dove soap or Delta Airlines and Delta faucets or Apple computers and Apple vacations? How, how is it that you can have these national brands with the, the same names? Yeah, that's just, so that's a good question. Uh, and that's also where, where a lot of, uh, layperson kind of get confused so if you file a trademark registration even if it is with the uspto and you have national protection the scope of your protection is the name of the brand or the design you have filed in connection with the goods or goods and services you have filed them for so you have if you have filed a um um let's say you have filed a you have filed a trademark called, um, uh, I don't know, 62 for, for phones, you just receive protection for 62 for phones. If someone else uses that 62 uh, for apples, that's something entirely different. So you do that's not within the scope of your protection. The scope of your protection is, as I mentioned, the mark. So any confusingly similar mark, so it doesn't have to be identical. Um, in connection with related or similar services. So 62 is the, the company name that you made up there? Yeah, 62 is, is, the, is the, the printer ink cartridge I use. <laughs> okay. So, okay. So if, uh, if this company, well, let's call the company 62 and they make phones. 
they're protected on their phones, but let's say they, they don't make accessories, whatever reason. So me, I'm clever. I decide, ooh, 62 phones, they're all over the place. I'm going to make cases with 62 on them for phones and other accessories. Can I do that because it's a, it's a different business class? Most likely not because that would be considered probably related. So related, it's just, um, it's, it's, it's basically, it means they could expand within that industry. It is, it is very likely that, that the phone company, uh, at some point will probably expand to that, to that industry to produce accessories and cases, for example. So a so reasonable, that, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Fin- finish your sentence. I'm sorry. Yeah. So that would be probably considered related or similar. Uh, is that basically because a reasonable person would think that the, the manufacturer of the phone probably also is affiliated with the manufacturer of these accessories that, that are to be used primarily with their phones or something of that nature? Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's, that's, that's exactly the case. I mean, the, the standard is likelihood of confusion. So um, the main purpose why why you cannot have the same trademark is because people, uh, the consumers would get confused if they, if they see 62 for phones and there's another 62 for phones and someone else is using the same, same brand and offering the same product. People would get confused. The main purpose is to identify, uh, identify the source of the origin. But if there are many, many of those, how do you identify the source of the origin? So, basically. So 62 phones, they're, they're the hot thing. They, they, they eclipsed Apple. They've eclipsed Samsung. They're the hottest phone there is. And I'm like, wow, 62, that's, that's a hot number. That's a hot brand. I'm going to make 62 ice cream. Um, would, would 62 phones have anything to say about that? It kind of depends, uh, again, unfortunately, because theoretically, uh, theoretically, no. But if they are a famous trademark, uh, famous trademarks, they have additional additional tools. They have um, they have the dilution, they have um, they have the dilution element and and uh, also the tarnishment element. So uh, they could say that you are diluting their trademark, the, the the trademark they have they have used. And and many companies they so Apple for example or Coca Cola or whatever they started with one product. But later down the road, they always file for, for they expand their trademark in, in, in other goods and services. So they file their trademark for other goods and services. There's, and for famous trademarks, you always have the problem that uh, they can use uh, the dilution, the dilution claim that they can claim that you're, you're diluting their trademark and um, their goodwill they have built up with your lower products, um, low class products or tarnishment that you are basically, I don't know, um, um, using it, um, well, kind of destroying, destroying their, their goodwill with, I don't know, for example, selling sex toys, uh, uh, 62. <laughs> uh, well, we can start with the ice cream. Uh, but, uh, the, let's say I said, well, I use 62 ingredients and my 62 doesn't look like your 62. It's not like, it's not like it's a copy of your logo, your presentation. Am I able to say, uh, something like, well, no reasonable consumer would think that somebody who makes your your fabulous phones that that you'd also make ice cream. They're two totally different things. I could see if my sixty two looked like exactly like your sixty two, but 
you know, yours is very modern and mine is in calligraphy. And that's my trademark is calligraphy 62. Do I have a better shot at it or is there still that tarnishment and dilution argument? Um, or is it still, it depends. Like they could go through my, you know, they could find my email to myself going, love 62 phones. Everyone loves 62. So I'm totally calling my ice cream 62. Yeah, generally speaking, that's that's the that's the main argument you can bring. So for any trademarks which are not famous, the notorious famous trademarks, with those you have to be careful. Even if if um, if certain goods or services um, they have not covered those goods and services, you still have to be careful because they have the this um, infringement by dilution, infringement through tarnishment. Uh, they have those those additional claims. Normal trademarks, which are not famous, like notoriously famous, they uh, that's that's a totally a valid argument. If they have a, if they're selling um, sixty two, if they're using sixty two for phones, and you're selling ice cream, that's an entirely different product. They have protection for for phones, and uh, ice cream is completely entirely unrelated uh, to phones. So that's. That's totally valid argument. Okay. So if you're a trademark holder, probably the sooner you act, you better. The, the sooner you act, the better for you, so that you avoid a dove versus dove situation. I don't know which company came first. I don't know whether it was the sort of the personal hygiene cosmetics one or whether it was the dairy products one that came first. Um, but uh, you know, I would say if the, if they both, they're both probably of equal name value. They're both, you know, probably household names, so to speak. Um, if, if they became household names around the same time, I guess it'd be very difficult to track. But if one became a household name well before the other one, they'd have to try to enforce their rights uh, within, is there, is there a timeline? Is there like a statute of limitations? Uh, you mean uh, for becoming famous? No, to enforce your trademark, to file an oh, infringement. Enforce your trademark. Well, I mean, uh, if you do not enforce your trademark and, and uh, so there is some urgency to that um, that's that's um, what I have what I can say if you if you do not enforce your trademark and many people start using that trademark then you're kind of abandoning your trademark um, and your trademark becomes also common uh, in addition to that if you're if you're actually not enforcing your trademark and let's say there are two people in the industry and both of them used it for quite a long time. You're, you're kind of also, they, they, it's, it's, it's an additional argument for the other side. If you try to, so if you try to sue them, uh, they could say, um, we have existed, we've coexisted for such a long time. So why the people did not get confused. Why did you, uh, come after 10 years or, or whatever, eight years and say that they're confusing it. I mean, it, it, regarding Dove, the, the ice cream and the, the, the cosmetics, the, the cosmetic products, they are, they're not confusable because they're in two entirely different industries. So a person will not confuse ice cream with, with cosmetics. So that's a distinction. But if, if they would be, let's say similar, Let's say you have um, you have sweets and you have chips or something, and both of them are using a very very similar trademarks. 
and both of them coexist for a very long time, that's a, that's a pretty strong argument. Right, say, if, like if you decide to do Dove eggs or Dove's orange juice, that's probably too close. Yeah. <laughs> now, if you were doing Dove sneakers, it's a, maybe a silly name, but if you were do, doing Dove sneakers, maybe you could get away with that. I actually have never, never tried Dove ice cream. That's the first time I hear of Dove ice cream. <laughs> I've heard of Dove cosmetics, but I mean, um, I grew up in Europe, so in Germany, so I'm familiar with the Dove uh, cosmetic products. But I've never heard the uh, Dove ice cream. <laughs> oh yeah, there's Dove ice cream and you know uh, milk and things like that. Um, but uh, actually, uh, I, I actually really enjoyed the Dove uh, chocolate almond ice cream bars with the vanilla ice cream and the hard chocolate and little almonds baked. And I actually prefer to the Haagen Dazs, believe it or not. But uh, no, nobody really cares which ice cream I like. Though they should, because I'm a fat guy and obviously I, I know food. Um, okay, so we were touching on without actually saying the words, but international business classes. And that's sort of what defines your goods and services. I think earlier you were saying that there's 45 of them, and, and roughly speaking, the first 34 are goods. The bottom 35 through 45 are services. Um, the, the 35 is also your, your retail department store, uh, which is considered a service, even though you're buying goods there, but generally you're not buying that store's own goods. So, uh, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but you go to Macy's, you're not buying anything that says Macy's shirts on it. Macy's may have their own brand, but they're probably gonna, they'll, 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 they'll probably trademark that. Like, uh, I think Target has Cherokee. Uh, so they, yeah. they, you know, but uh, you go to Macy's, you're buying Polo, you're buying Champion, you're buying Nike, you're buying Armani, whatever, Hagar, Dockers, whatever. You're buying other people's brands. Um, and and Macy's can use it because Macy's has a, a distribution license uh, with, with those companies. And so they can, they can advertise and things like that. Uh, but Macy's is the services. Now they would have their own service marks, which you, you know, probably have an R next to them also because a registered service mark, just like a registered trademark, gets an R. That's what the R means, is registered. Um, so once you get the R, it's not that easy for a regular person to look and say, service mark, trademark, and it probably doesn't matter. You just know that the R, if somebody puts the R there, they have a registered mark with the United States Patent and Trademark Office. If they don't, at least in this country, they're theoretically committing some type of fraud. Mm -hmm. So you can't just slap an R in there. You can slap a TM or an SM on there. You might be wrong, but you can because you're telling the world that you are asserting that trademark for yourself. Is, is that about right? Yes, that's absolutely correct. And uh, the, the topic you just you just touched on, I mean, that might probably go a little bit beyond, uh, beyond the purpose of the podcast, but um, uh, retail store services, whether that has to be uh, whether that has to be basically the goods of another person or you are having your goods and you're protecting it additionally your retail store services that is uh, that's pretty controversial <laughs> so many people say Nike for example they have they have protected sneakers mm -hmm. plus 25 but in addition to that they have protected also their their online retail store they're selling also their own products but many other people say no. Um, that does it's it's kind of that would be uh, the that would be ancillary that would be protected anyway. So retail store services is wrong. Um, 
you have retail store services, it would it would receive uh, it receives protection because you're selling the products of other people. But yeah. So so more it depends, especially as a business gets bigger and expands into different areas. Um, okay, so. We, we did a pretty good exposition there on trademark, and obviously we can only touch on what we can touch on, but how do trademarks intersect with entertainment law? Where, I mean, maybe it's intuitive at this point, but what, what is the, what's the purpose and protection of trademarks in, in entertainment law with some specificity? Um, I, I mean, it can, it can touch on anything. So um, if you say, I mean, when you say entertainment law, I, I assume you're talking, for example, about books. Um, it can have a book can have a brand. For example, if you're if you're creating books, if you're um, a label and you're you're producing books, you put your your trademark on it, so people identify and say, okay, oh, it comes from this or that 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 uh, uh, source. Um, if you're having, for example, a um, a music label and you're producing music. Um, you have certain artists working for you, and uh, you're using a brand, you're using a trademark that is, it's, it can have a certain certain value, uh, obviously, and people would would identify it with a specific artists, with a specific a specific quality of of music, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So uh, it can be used in 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 any sector. Okay, so the entertainment law aspects of it aren't really any different than any other aspect of it. It's it's just what you're trying to protect. That's just uh, the, the the different services or goods you're providing. So if you're a movie studio, you would you know you would you, that's the product. That's what you're you're providing. You're making movies. Uh, what if you're an artist? So we have the Rolling Stones. So you know you've got the the words the Rolling Stones. You've got the way the Rolling Stones. The, the words usually uh, appear. Uh, you've got the the lips with the tongue coming out. The you know the the logo. Um, are are those potentially trademarkable items? Yes, certainly. So as I mentioned, if you if you can if you have a word, if you have a design, and you use it as as a brand as a trademark, uh, you can have that trademark. You can have, have protection for it, and uh, this will. This will hinder other people to copy it and and pretend to to sell under 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 your name to have have same quality products as, as you have. Say I'm Mick Jagger. Um, I don't know if Mick Jagger is his real name or not, but we'll we'll ask both. Mick Jagger is not my real name, but I've been I've been singing songs since the '60s on it, or maybe even the '50s. Can I trade me trademark my stage name, Mick Jagger? If I really am Mick Jagger, sure. I mean that that would be probably considered a, a, a also a wordmark. Okay. <laughs> if you don't have it in a specific stylization, you should be able to have a trademark. If it identifies a specific person, the USPTO always asks uh, whether you you're that person or whether you're related, and whether you have the permission basically to use that as a trademark. Okay. Say I'm not Mick Jagger from the Rolling Stones, but my real name is Mick Jagger. And I am also a musician. Can I trademark my own name as as my own name if it's my real name and my stage name? But there's also there's already Mick Jagger trademarked out there. If there's already a Mick Jagger trademark out there, and uh, you you want to use it too, then I would say probably most likely no, because that well, 
I would say here in the US, it depends. Because it depends if, if you use that trademark before them, then they could not stop you from using it. Well, we're um, talking, we're, in, in this example, we're talking about the real Mick Jagger, you know, start me up, satisfaction that's been using it, you know, for 65 years now or whatever. And, but I'm actually Mick Jagger also. And, and, you know, but I'm, well, in this little fantasy, I'm 25. So obviously Mick Jagger has been known as Mick Jagger, you know, past my lifetimes times two. Uh, but it is my real name and it's a stage name and I'm a singer and let's make it even worse. I, I sing rock and roll. I, I personally think that that might be still difficult because trademark law is based on priority. And um, if, if the other person used that trademark before you, then it's going to be difficult for you to, to use it. Could I trademark like Mick B. Jagger, like Michael B. Jordan? Oh, I got that some... would be probably, again, <laughs> the likelihood of confusion. Uh, I personally think it might be a little bit close uh, again. So that's, that's again, it's it's very subjective, and uh, if if um, Mick Jagger with the trademark, if the, if the owner of the Mick Jagger trademark does not have a problem with that, you're totally fine. But uh, if they see that you're using it and you receive a cease and desist letter, then you should probably stop using it. <laughs> so I'm born Mick Jagger. I'm a musician. I probably should find a different trade name. A different trademark, yeah. Yeah, a stage, a different tr stage name and different trademark. Um, that's tough. Well, thanks, Mom and Dad, for naming Mick, Mick Jagger, but giving me the talent. I can't even use it. Um, that is that is a bit of a tough break. Um, okay, so we have our our entertainment law aspects there, and you know, we we as always, we have sort of the famous "it depends." Um, what about what about books? So you mentioned books that the publisher, like Simon and Schuster or Penguin, they can. What about like uh, I write one book? It's called The Terror. Uh, I, I I use this name not accidentally because I've read at least two other books called The Terror, and I know that there's also movies out there called The Terror and a TV show called The Terror. Um, is is that not protectable under trademark? Uh, the the title to my book. Uh, well, it, it can be trademarked, but if someone has already something similar or someone is using it for, for similar or related services, then it would be risky for you to try to protect it. Okay. Uh, so if someone has it, uh, has it using it for certain kind of entertainment services and you're also, um, offering some entertainment services, uh, even if it's in, in a different nature, it would, it would probably be risky do that especially if, if the trademark is identical so uh, these two factors what we're talking about they're like 13 factors uh, called the dupont factors um but the first two they are they're the most important ones they're the most relevant ones it's the similarity of the mark and similarity or relatedness of the goods and services so that's that's a trademark infringement whether to determine if there is a trademark infringement or not and the first two factors they're also intertwined with each other so if, if you have an identical trademark, the services or the goods, they don't have to be that close. And if, if the goods, if the goods and services are identical, then the trademark does not have to be that close. If that makes sense. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I have, uh, my rough understanding with books or, or things like that is that if you write one book, 
on it. The book itself can't be trademarked, but if you have a series like Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, Harry Potter and you can trademark the Harry Potter. Um, now, with Harry Potter, of course, then now they've got theme park shirts, merchandise, this, that. So they probably have everything in the universe trademarked at this point. But let's just say my books were successful enough for sequels, but not, nothing else. Uh, I wouldn't trademark the Sorcerer's Stone, but I'd be able to trademark Harry Potter because I have this recurring Harry Potter series. Yes. So it, it depends how you actually use the mark. Uh, if you use it prominently and if you use it as a as a trademark, so to identify the source of the origin, so who produced the, the, these kind of books, uh, it will likely be able to to be registered as a trademark. If you do not use it um, as um, as a trademark, so the function of the trademark is, as I mentioned, to identify the source of the origin, then it, the trademark office will probably even reject your trademark. This happens quite often for uh, for T-shirts, because people think that they can have a have a certain slogan or design trademark for T-shirts, but that's not the case if it's ornamentally used, if it's used decorative. So if it's just on the T-shirt to look good, the USPTO will issue a refusal and will not will refuse to register your trademark because it functions uh, just to decorative. So people like it and people buy your T-shirt. But it's not identifying who produced that T-shirt, who's the manufacturer, who does that product come from. So it, it kind of really depends how you use the trademark. And especially in connection with clothing, it needs to be small on the pocket side, on the neck label, um, on, um, on a label attached to the, to the product, on a product packaging. If it's just big all over the shirt, mostly decorative, and the USPTO will reject it. Or you have to be our friends Nike and have Just Do It being the forefront of your national advertising campaign <laughs> for years and years and years. Um, okay. Uh, well, the USPTO, they just got recently strict about that because a lot of t-shirt shops popped up and uh, they are getting more and more stricter with that. I know that there are, um, I heard that quite quite often from, from other trademark attorneys that they said that they are still making sometimes some mistakes at the USPTO on like registering it. But there is like sometimes, so it's connected also with, with an additional factor. So they have to use it that the way I was just explaining it, or it is connection, connected with additional services they offer. So let's say you have, um, and that's, that's, a, that's something I actually fought myself. Uh, so you have a trademark where you use it kind of like a bit decorative and it's not really clear, but if it's filed in connection with a service you're offering and your service is called that, that same way, then it can get filed. Uh, so it, it, it can get registered that uses kind of okay. So it's kind of an exception. Okay. So the, uh, so depending again, that those famous two words, it depends, uh, can either protect or, cause the non-protection of it. Did you say that Just Do It just got stripped of its uh, trademark status? Uh, I'm sorry? Did you say that the phrase Just Do It just got stripped of its trademark status? Or did I mishear you? That, that, that the USPTO got stricter with uh, accepting these kind of specimens so prove that that you are using your mark in connection with the goods and services. Oh, okay. 
T-shirts. So, so, uh, so the so uh, advertising campaign may not make it the branding anymore. That so that example would no longer hold up. It's actually you'd have to have just do it on your labels or your price tags or your shopping bags or whatever. Yeah. So, uh, so that now now we're we're jumping to the to the topic specimens and that's proof of use. So a trademark, if you want to have it registered here in the U.S. You need to use it in connection with your um, with your goods or services, and um, every like um, after the first five years, and then after that every ten years, and also with the registration. Uh, so your trademark does not get registered before you prove to the USPTO that you're using your mark in connection with the goods. Let's say uh, again sixty-two with phones. Uh, if you don't have that sixty-two on your phone, and you prove that you're using that. Uh, that trademark on the back of your smartphone, sixty-two, you you will not get it, get your trademark registered. Um, and that proof, what we're talking about, that is called specimens. And specimens are different for goods, and specimens are different for services. So this comes again into play with the um, classes we mentioned. One to thirty-four are goods. So the mark needs to be used on the product itself, on product packaging, on lay on a label attached to the product, or on a point of sale display. And for services, class 35 to 45, the proper specimen need to be the mark, um, the mark in connection with advertise uh, advertisement promotion of your services. So any kind of advertisement promotion, basically. Ah, gotcha. Okay. Um, I think I, I led us a little bit astray for, away from the entertainment and into more of the intellectual property uh, generally. So is there anything on trademarks tied to in, in, uh, entertainment law that we did not cover that you feel needs to be um, elaborated upon? I don't think so. I think we, we talked uh, pretty pretty broadly about, about, about trademarks and and their requirements. Well, the only thing probably, which is also, which needs to be mentioned is um, trademark law. Um, you you have certain maintenance requirements uh, if you file a trademark registration. So if you file a trademark registration, you do not receive protection and then it lasts forever. So you need to continuously use that mark and file and renew the mark every 10 years okay. uh, to keep keep protection. Copyright law is slightly different. So copyright law, you file it one time, you, you receive copyright protection, and it lasts for the lifetime of the author plus seventy years. Right. That's probably something relevant, also. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it was a, that's a that was a perfect segue into copyright law. Um, now that is the current copyright law. I know back in the day it was less time, and then there were other statutes. Um, so if you're talking about an older copyright. Um, is it still the old amount of years or is it life, still life of the author plus 70 years? Uh, so it kind of depends. Uh, after, I believe, uh, it was 1976, uh, the, the copyright, copyright, copyright law changed. There were a lot of different changes in the copyright law. So um, the law is trying to incentivize the, the, the artists so they're giving them more protection, that's one way to, to go with it. And many countries, they just raised the, the bar of protection and just gave them longer protection. So um, 
Now the current state is lifetime of the author plus 70 years. Um, before it was it was lesser and it was connected with 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 renewals, etc. Uh, etc. Et and what happens after the lifetime of the author plus 70 years? It, after that, the artistic work gets into the public domain and everyone can basically use it, can copy it, can perform it, can create derivative works, et cetera, et cetera. So, we're, we're, so things that are probably from sort of the World War, pre-World War II era uh, are probably still protected on the copyright, but anything earlier than around that time is, is in the public domain now. So uh, now some of these things are much older than my examples, but that's, but that's sort of why Sherlock Holmes, uh, anyone can make a Sherlock Holmes or a Robin Hood movie. Yes, that's correct. Those ones, those ones, they're like extremely old. They're very old. So they're, they're in the public domain. Um, so as I mentioned, it kind of really depends when, when that law of, when that artistic work was created and protected. Um, so dependent on that, if, if it, if it surpassed that protection period, then it, it falls into the public domain or if they did not comply with certain laws. I know that, um, that back in the days you needed to also provide that copyright notice. If you did not provide that copyright notice, uh, that little C in, in, in a circle with, a with a publication date and and the name of the owner, then it can kind of fell into the public domain. That is not the case anymore. So you do not need to use that um, C in a circle or copyright, et cetera, et cetera. It's, it's still, you should still do that because it provides notice to the public, but it's, but your, your artistic work will not fall into the public domain only because you do not uh, provide notice. Okay. So, to be clear, public domain is an exception to infringement in copyright. Um, and so if something, so could I just rewrite H.G. Wells's The War of the Worlds or uh, the book and just publish it now? Yes, if, if it's in the public domain, uh, it's it does not have any copyright protection anymore. So you can... You can technically use it, you can copy it, you can do whatever you want, basically. Okay. Wow, that, that sounds like a lot of fun, though I don't know why anyone would buy my version, you know, if it's just word for word, the same thing. Um, all right, so... But, there, yeah, um, one thing, so copyright law, before before we move on, just, just the basics of copyright law, uh, it's, it's very different than trademarks, so you do not need to file it or do anything with that. So copyright law comes into existence with the, basically when it's connected with, with two elements, one originality and one is fixing it in a tangible medium. And um, originality means you need to be the author and uh, your artistic work needs to have enough artistic elements, um, so-called modicum of creativity. but. It's, I think it's a bit misleading. So you need to you need to have enough artistic elements in your work, and that artistic work which you have created um, by yourself, you need to fix it in a tangible medium. So it can be a piece of paper, it can be a document on your on your computer, it can be a napkin, anything. And once that those two requirements are fulfilled, you become automatically 
owner of the copyright. So you, you, the copyright comes into existence, but you are actually not able to enforce it. To be actually able to enforce that copyright law and, for example, sue someone um, for copyright infringement, you need that copyright um, registration. So in entertainment law, I think copyrights, it's pretty obvious where they come into play. This would be your, your movies, your TV shows, this podcast, uh, magazines, books, songs, albums. All those are copyrightable, a painting, I suppose, a sculpture, whatever. All, all that is sort of copyrightable materials. Yes, yes. Um, literary work, um, software pictures, uh, any kind of visual visual artwork, uh, music, everything. Okay. Yeah. Let's say I drew a picture and, you know, so it's my copyright. Uh, it's really me. I just did it yesterday. Somebody loves it. They want to they wanna put it on T-shirts. Can they just do it because they saw my picture and they said they love it? Or uh, could I make them stop? Uh, you could take so you're the copyright owner because you drew that picture and they put it on a t-shirt that would be considered derivative work and you as the copyright owner you're you're you have exclusive um, exclusive protection exclusive exclusive use of that uh, copyright so they would not be able well they could technically do that uh, but they would infringing on your copyright and for you to be able to actually stop them from infringing you could send them a cease and desist letter and ask them nicely uh if they still infringe on it then uh, you have no other option than actually if you have a trademark registration you can sue them right away uh, if you have a copyright registration sorry uh, if you do not have a copyright registration you would need to um get a copyright registration then you would be able to sue them okay so you can't sue in the in, in courts for copyright infringement until you have a formal uh registered copyright Yes, correct. You need a you need a copyright registered with the U.S. Copyright Office be, before you're able to actually sue someone. Okay. It has also additional benefits. Uh, if if you register that before that infringement, you get also statutory damages. So um, as attorneys, we always recommend to uh, have it have the copyright registration filed as as, as quickly as possible. Okay, so what happens if the person, I, I love it that they're selling the shirt. I'm like, well, I'm not a shirt maker, so maybe we can strike a deal. So um, is is this what's, uh, you know, as the copyright owner, could I approach them and say, listen, I'm going to make you cease and desist. I'm going to take you to court if I need to. Um, but I'm not really a T-shirt maker. You know, let, let's talk about a deal. You know, let, let, let's split the proceeds 50-50 or whatever the case is. You know, and, and let's just say they say, sounds good to me. Um, is that what licensing is? Yes. So, uh, yes, yes and no. Um, <laughs> again, so uh, license, uh, licensing now, now we're talking about the, about the transfer of rights from, from copyrights. There are two different ways to transfer it. One is licensing. That's a partial transfer of, of, um, allowance basically of, of the rights um, and the other alternative would be uh, an assignment that's the full transfer of copyrights so copyrights cannot be transferred or the rights to a copyright and the ownership to a copyright cannot partially transfer uh, it's called the, um, the doctrine of indivisibility I believe um, so 
that would be considered a license. If, if, if there are like partial rights transferred to another person, so I allow you to use that uh, picture and create t-shirts, the example you gave for one year and you give me for each t-shirt 50 cents. Um, that would be considered a license. But if you say, okay, you like that picture, um, I'm going to sell you that picture and you can, you can, um, I'm going to sell you the copyright to that picture and you can use it. You can create derivative works. You can, um, do whatever you want with it. You can sell that copyright to other people. Then that would be considered a transfer of ownership rights. So an assignment. So an assignment is basically a sale. You're transferring actual full ownership uh, 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 licenses for a particular use, or I guess it could be uses, right? So I could say you could put it on T-shirts, hats, coffee mugs, you know, uh, but definitely not lunch boxes or whatever. I, you know, I, I can do whatever I want there. Um, all right. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so you you can you can copy that work. You can. Uh, create derivative work. You can perform that work. You can do whatever you want with the work because you're the owner of that. And a royalty is basically like a commission. It's it's uh, it can be. I suppose it could be paid in either event, but in either type of contract, uh, whether it's an assignment or a license, it probably doesn't much matter. But it, it would be based on you're going to get a piece of you eat what you what they kill. Well, you eat what they kill because they're the ones selling it. But uh, is that what a royalty is basically? It's it's a percentage based on revenue. Yes. So royalty in in connection with trade with copyrights, it can be the so it's most of the time it's probably connected with uh, licensing. So you you're licensing your copyright and you say uh, I receive from every item you sell this this percentage that would be probably considered a royalty. But there are no limitations how you um, how you how you draft your licensing agreement. So you can, for example, say I just want a lump sum, and then you have that you can use that um, copyright for five years, and you just pay me once. Uh, or you can say every every sold item, or you can say I don't know every month five dollars, every year five hundred dollars. You're pretty free in, in that regard to draft your contract the way you want. So people with, uh, you know, the, as long as there's a meeting of the minds and it, it the, it's written well enough that people know what it means, you can have whatever terms to the contract you like. There's nothing special about intellectual property in that regard. Yes, yes, except that the indivisibility. So the, they, the copyright law does not want uh, copyrights to be splittered away and like, so one person has the right to do this. The other person has the right to do this. So um, it, it wants the copyright ownership with always with one person, and that person can license it. Okay. So it's not possible to say, "Oh, I'm gonna transfer my ownership rights um, to um, use it with T-shirts to that person." I'm gonna transfer my ownership rights. Use it with marks for that person, or but you can do that with trademarks, right? I'm sorry, you can do that with trademarks. There's no with indivisibility. Trademark. Uh, well, I'm, I'm let's let's take uh, what what's uh, like, like Batman, the name Batman. Um, it's probably trademark, right? 
but, 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 but it probably also falls under copyright as well. But but you can see Batman on coffee mugs. You can see Batman on shirts. You can see Batman on all sorts of products. Um, uh, you know, and, and it's probably coming from different companies. So that would violate the indivisibility, right? Um, well, it, it kind of really depends. Um, if you're talking about, are you talking about trademarks or copyrights? Let's do copyright first, then trademark. Okay, so copyrights, if, if one person, so I, my assumption is you're talking about about the picture of Batman. Um, then that picture gets gets protection. Um, if if anyone uses it on anything, on any derivative work, um, on on a mug, on a T-shirt, that would rec- that would be copyright protection. So if they do not have a license, they infringe on your trademark, on your copyright. So um, that's that's regarding copyright. Um, I don't think you're talking about about the word Batman uh, because. Copyright does not protect uh, short phrases, sentences, ideas, systems. So that would technically not be protectable. Uh, regarding trademarks, yes, you can you can have have the the Batman as as a logo if it's not copyrighted, for example. Uh, you can have protection for it for trademarks for mugs. And another person says, "No, I would like to have it. Pro- have that logo of Batman for my." Uh, law firm services, law services. Right. So it's uh, yeah, as long as it's not copyrighted, um, which gives you really broad protection on any kind of derivative works, uh, then you can have a trademark, and um, many people can have a trademark, use it as a trademark. And okay, so there's there's this concept known as fair use, which is an exception to infringement, and fair use applies to both trademarks on copyrights, but not equally, um, or not exactly. I mean, obviously copyright, there's the public domain. Um, yeah. there, there's no public domain for trademarks necessarily, though I guess they, they can get too common. They can get generic over time. But as if, if you've protected it and you keep renewing it for your 10-year periods, you can protect your trademark potentially forever. Um, but what are, what what's generally fair use and... You know what, what? I guess we should go through, or you will go through, generally what's fair use, and if there's any major distinctions between copyright and trademark, other than the public domain one that I just sort of spouted off. Yes, um, I think fair use is is it's just a defense, um, and it, they are very different in copyright and trademark law. And trademark law does not play such a big role. Uh, you can bring in the, the fair use defense um, if you say, hey, um, the word I'm using is descriptive. So let's say um, I'm, I'm selling uh, phone products and, and um, I'm, I use the term um, cellular or, or mobile device. And uh, that's, uh, that's, that's kind of descriptive. It, it describes my product, right? So I use that term. Uh, it's not. And, and that's the defense. If someone has, has cellular, for example, a mobile device uh, trademark and you use it in a descriptive way, it would be that would be basically a fair use defense. The other alternative to that is if you if you if you basically reference it, so you say, oh um, my you're, you're having a, a something 
an, an advertisement or something and you state, oh, my product is uh, um, the battery of my phone 62 lasts uh, five times longer than Apple. You're using Apple as a reference. You're just referencing to create the, the distinction between between the products. So that's that's another um, fair use. You can use um, the, another fair use defense for trademarks. So it doesn't not really play a big role in trademarks, but in copyrights, it's it's pretty big, and um, people are allowed to um, to use it for to use the artistic work of other people um, if it falls within certain categories. Uh, let's say it's educational, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So the copyright law does list a few um, a few categories uh, where you can use that, um, and um, it's. It's also pretty much accepted in the area of um, parody and satire, etc. Um, but other than that, if, if, if it does not fall within those categories or if it's not clear, uh, then there, there are four factors which, which, are, um, which are relevant, which you need to know and which is basically determining whether it is fair use and uh, you do not infringe on on the copyright, or if it is not fair use and you're actually infringing. So um, fair use and copyrights is 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 very is, is a gray area, and it's it's not it, it does not have really like bright lines, and it it's it keeps it keeps changing uh, with the with the jurisprudence and. Uh, Transformative works just came additionally to that. So if a work is considered transformative, then it's also fair use. But in general, the 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 courts are applying four elements or four four factors to determine whether there is fair use. Number one, the purpose and character of the use, including whether such uses of commercial nature or if it is nonprofit educational purposes. So that just means. Um, they check the artistic work and see uh, it, um, um, the the way you're basically using the artistic work. Is it in a, are you using it in a commercial nature or are you using it uh, at, in a non-commercial way? So do you make money of it or not? Uh, that's something essential. If you're making money of it, it's gonna probably not fall under fair use. But if you are a nonprofit and you're not making money, you use it, for example, as for educational services, such, such as this podcast, then you could probably say, no, it's it's probably more likely that it, this is fair use. Second element is the nature of the copyrighted work. So um, is it factual work or is it is it fictional work? If it is factual work, as, as we mentioned already, um, Facts and information, general ideas, etc. They're not copyrightable. So if it tends more to be facts, um, then it's probably uh, it's probably fair use. If it's more fictional work, then it's probably not fair use. Um, then the next element is subs uh, substantiality of the portion used. So how much of the artistic work did you actually copy? So did you copy copy um, um, a book completely and you just just sold it as, as, as your work? Or are you just copying a tiny portion of it? 
so the quantity um, is is important here but uh, not only the quantity is important so that, uh, there's also jurisprudence which is stating if you copy just if you copy the heart of the work so the the main part of the work then that is probably also uh, trademark infringement but yeah so this factor is quantity how much did you um, did you um, did you copy and um, what parts of it like is it essential parts the heart of the work and the fourth element is the effect uh, of the use upon the potential market um, or the value of or the copyrighted work so um, if you are if you're if you're selling let's say your your product um, or does it what kind of what kind of effect does it have on the potential market of the original copyrighted work so let's say you did copy a part of, of, of one work and you're selling uh, uh, your copyright you you copied a part of a book and you have it in your book uh, if you sell your book what kind of effect would it have on the potential market for the original work from which you copied your your parts of it um, and does it kind of diminish the value and this is considered the most important factor or this is the most relevant factor for many courts and yeah uh, according to these these four factors it's uh, you you're kind of determining um whether there is a fair use or not okay i'm sure that we could come up with uh transformative works that only make sense due to the practicality so if you know that uh so if you are doing, if there's uh let's just take Marvel's Avengers. Okay. And you want to do a live action um, musical version of it, uh, you know, in community theater, which I just realized they did it in Hawkeye. They, they actually did a, a spoof of their own thing, but let's say you wanted to do the same thing, a play. Is that transformative enough or is that, uh, or is that it's it's too close to the original work, or is it uh, it might be transformative because it's owned by Disney, one of the biggest companies in the world. You, you don't want to be the one to test that theory. Yeah, no, I, I would I would never mess with with bigger companies. They have the financials <laughs> to, to to actually enforce their rights and um, to actually sue you. So um, it it really depends. Trans transformative works. Uh, it's it's uh, th this whole area is extremely transformative just to use that word also right. uh, so it, it's it's very difficult to determine what is transformative and what not yeah um it, it's there's some there common examples that, that maybe make no sense like the andy warhol the painting of campbell's soup and and that that recent one that we were talking about in pre-production that the basically the photograph of prince that someone else sort of painted over and it you know just changed the colors and whatever and it uh, but it, it's you know you, if you put them side to side you can see that it's basically the same thing just with different colors but the court said that's transformative enough yes exactly so uh, the, it's very difficult to determine what is transformative normally the courts are are applying the their infringement factors and see is there is there substantial similarity like did that person have access to to the work and did that person either verbatim copy everything or parts of it how much did it did that did that person copy um and uh is are the works substantially similar 
but that fair use use uh, uh, defense basically is saying, yeah, they might be similar, but that this work is 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 an entirely new work because it's transformative. So, what is transformative? The courts they they basically apply that on a, on a uh, on on a case to case basis. Okay, now let's let's try to address some things that are similar to each other conceptually, and, and you can explain to me why they're okay. So one is karaoke, the other is actually karaoke machines, and then the third would be cover bands. So how do those work? Why they're similar? Or, or, or you know, uh, you know, let's say you're a karaoke bar, and you have people coming in for karaoke making money. You're commercializing it, and the karaoke, they're singing... Songs that are just, let's just assume they're all copywritten songs. They're all famous songs, still, uh, you know, outside of public domain. How are, how are karaoke bars permitted to do it or the person performing the songs? Uh, and what's the distinction between someone who sells the karaoke machine and software um, with regards to copyright? And then cover bands, you know, you can go to, you know, any club or whatever, and you can see someone doing the best of the Eagles or doing you know, uh, or covering the songs of, you know, they may have a set of 20 songs and, you know, they're from 20 different bands that, that you know, are under copyright protection. Yeah, so that's, uh, they probably have licenses. <laughs> so um, regarding music, it's a little bit difficult. Um, music is a really special field. So you have, you have a copyright for the lyrics um, and Yes, you have a copyright for the lyrics and also for for the for the song itself, for the for the notes, basically, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, and then there's another copyright for the masters, for the master record. So that's the actual. Um, uh, uh, so that's that's abstract, just the lyrics plus the, the the notes, the song, and the master is the actual performance by a specific band. So the masters, um, if someone is playing that um, in a bar or wherever they're kind of performing that 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 record, then they would need to um, license it basically from you. But they could they would they would in addition to that also need a license from for the lyrics. But uh, if if they don't play that record um, and they have and own a, a, a different band performing that song with the lyrics, then they would need a license from that person um, who wrote the lyrics and the notes, basically. If that makes sense. So it's... Yeah. It, it, it does. Um, and my understanding is that karaoke was deemed per se parody, satire protected there, uh, even if you are the most serious and great singer. The karaoke machines... I think that you're almost certainly right that the manufacturer has to get some license. My understanding of cover bands, at least technically, yeah. is that either the band itself can get a license or the venue can get those licenses. And I, I believe there's uh, one major licensing. I think I think it's called the Harry S. Fox Agency, and I think they uh, have the authority to license like something like 95% of recorded music out there. The, um, there's probably a few other ones for outliers, but uh, 
I think usually the venue actually does the licensing um, or something like a, like a, an organization like the NFL might do the licensing, uh, which is explains why, you know, you can go to 32 football stadiums and they'll probably play the same 12 or 15 songs a year, you know, wherever you go. Um, but yeah, the, 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 that's some combination of licensing and fair use in there. That's my understanding anyway. Um, we have gone almost an hour and a half, which is longer than I thought we were going to. And I want to be respectful of your time. It's evening. Are there any major issues of entertainment law that were not subsumed in the international, I'm sorry, in the intellectual property that are, that are imperative that uh, you, you definitely wanted to touch on? I think uh, we covered, uh, I think, a lot of subject matter. Okay. <laughs> one and a half hours. All right. So I, I, no, I don't have anything um, I specifically want to mention. I think we mentioned like trademarks we covered quite uh, quite broad and copyrights we covered also the, the main basics. Um, well, dear listener, this is probably more on intellectual property, copyrights and trademarks most specifically, more than entertainment law. So sorry about that. But I will look uh, to see if I can find a talent agent or a literary agent or maybe both uh, in the future to come on for the contract aspects of that. Um, this is uh, bigger than I thought it was. And then there's a lot of it depends, as you heard. And, you know, if anything, it's the importance of, uh, you know, having proper counsel, but even then things change, um, which is extremely frustrating uh, if you're a content creator, or maybe even if you are the infringer, uh, you might think that you're in a safe harbor and, and, and you're not. So, um, but yeah, we're here to mitigate losses and then, then keep you as safe as possible. Not, uh, not, you know, give you a force field of protection or, uh, you know, or, not like Odin Spear that never misses, but now I'm dovetailing into uh, Garden of Doom territory. All right, Farzad, I thank you very much for your time. Uh, Farzad's been kind enough to come on another time. He's going to tell us. So at his story, you heard he, he was an attorney in Germany. He's also an attorney in the U.S. Uh, but there's even another country that that that, uh, that, that is involved as well uh, in his story. And I'll tell that and, and you know. Perhaps we'll fine-tune on some of this. Maybe we won't. I'm sure that there's something tomorrow. I'll kick myself and say, why didn't I ask him this? Or he'll come up with something and say, why didn't I say that? So we'll, luckily enough, by by circumstance, we'll have a chance to uh, elaborate, correct, or embellish uh, later on. But uh, I will look to see if I can find agents in those fields to maybe talk about those aspects of entertainment law, if possible. But anyway, Farzad, thank you so much. Enjoy the Valley of the, the Five Lions. Um, that is your name. I hope the lions uh, aren't too active so you can sleep. And thank you for coming into Garden Views, giving us your time. And uh, we'll look forward to recording with you again on the, the, uh, the, the biography and your exciting heroic tale, which is just like James Bond. I, I think that's how you advertise it, right? Uh, yeah, exactly. Thank, thank you for, for having me. And uh, it was was great talking to you, chatting with you. is always a pleasure. You too. And yeah, everyone, make sure that you protect your intellectual property rights. It's very important. He's right. He's right. And if you want to engage Farzad's services uh, through the firm, remember, these are federal protections for the most part we've been talking about. So anywhere in the United States, uh, including territories, Puerto Rico, protectorates, or if you are a legal entity or legal person outside the United States, 
with the exception of some countries who who wants to protect rights in the United States, you have access to. So if they want to find yourself or someone like you, how would they find you? Uh, they could find me on, on the Dunlap Bennett and uh, Ludwig website, um, or they can they can find me also um, on LinkedIn uh, under the name Farzad Panchiri. Okay. And you probably, to reach you probably and, need uh, to spell it for, for most of them. Yeah. F-A-R-Z-A-D, and then separate word, P-A-N-J-S-H-I-R-I. Very good. All right. Thank you very much. So, uh, yeah. So if you're looking into those aspects and you want to protect your rights or you want to talk to someone about it, there's Farzad. You know how to find him. And I thank you all for listening to Garden Views. Thank you for being on one of the longer shows. This is sort of typical for Garden of Doom, which is more esoteric. Uh, Garden Views tends to be closer to an hour. So thank you for your patience. Hopefully you found this valuable. And we will hear from you next week. Two engineering students just got big firm jobs. Got big firm jobs. Got big firm jobs. Two engineering students just got big firm jobs. Got big firm jobs. Got big firm jobs. Guess what's back? Back again. IP Jobs. Tell a friend. Guess what's back? 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 a monster because nobody wants to hire lawyers no more they want science with chopped liver well if you want science this is what i'll give you a violeteers feel by a litigator some doctor that'll co-op my spot quicker than a shock i'm a stock in liberal lots to squat because the market here is not cooperating should have studied how to do some carbon dating. you're stuck in the red you ain't job creating gotta call back but it's just called waiting i know that you want to get a job miss brainy but your english degree it just ain't translating so when my jd won't let me be or let me be to be a trial attorney they try to shut me down at frp there's just too damn much intellectual property so come into grips total eclipse fuck up silence your lips because here come the tips and get ready because i'm feeling unsteady i just got another job offer what already now, now this, this looks, looks like a good job for me but i don't have an engineering degree i'll never get a use out of my jd because i just can't do intellectual property now this looks like a good job for me but i don't have an engineering degree I'll never get a use out of my JD Cause I just can't do intellectual property Few two L's, just waiting in hotels I'll pitch in the same products that everyone else sells They start feeling like the interviews go well Till Ivy comes along and starts flashing his Nobel A passerby, but he's passing you by Moving on to round two, they forgot all about you A chemist, so what's the premise of fact That I lack since I got no one else calling me back When I got my masters, but it's an atrophy Employers pick a path that's packed, but pass on me Well I'm here, na 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 Fudge your math and never notice none of us are gonna enter in. Get in your firm like a 1L, the object of affection, back for the job. And now I'm working, the best thing since twerking, jerking, around the office and twerking. Testing, attention please. Hypertension when you mention that the job is IP. Now I'll resume, resume is free. Science class, who says that's not for me? Now this looks like a job for me, but I don't have an engineering degree. I'll never get a use out of my JD, cause I just can't do intellectual property. Now this looks like a job for me, but I don't have an engineering degree. 
I'll never get a use out of my JD Cause I just can't do intellectual property Pitons of patents, someone get the magic Straight to the court making big law facts Patents pending? This stuff's never ending Worse than the way they do student lending And trademark, I'm sitting in the dark So flooded with quick feel like I need an art Just a remark, don't know what I'm doing These two look the same so I guess now we're suing A shoo-in, this job is my ruin Now please have a seat cause you're about to be glued in It's all wrong, how's that copyright? They pay you in the morning but you earn it at night Plus people only mention how much green You'll make and trust that it's obscene But allow me to just intervene Cause to them you're just a work machine No I'm not the first dude to bear the bad news It's just that this job might short your last few. So stock up on your beer and best booze IP is the career that you choose But hey, it's a job I'd still work When a million other law students go clerk Yet no matter how many good grades I see I just can't do intellectual property Now this looks like a job for me But I don't have an engineering degree I'll never get a use out of my JD Cause I just can't do intellectual property Now this looks like a job for me But I don't have an engineering degree I'll never get a use out of my JD Cause I just can't do intellectual property